You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, we finish up our series in Philippians as Pastor Josh preaches from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. In this passage, the Apostle Paul talks about God's provision and being content in every circumstance. Paul also talks about the importance of spiritual community. As always, we pray that God will speak to us through his word today. Good morning, church. How are we? Great. If you have your copy of God's word, would you open to Philippians chapter 4? Philippians 4. I pray that this has been a great study for you, a great time in God's Word, for we, by God's grace, have made it to the end of this incredible letter. Uh, And hopefully, uh, as we get to the end of our time, we will have completed this sermon. Uh, But with that, uh, you may uh, be new with us here, and you realize that there's something to my right, to to your left, if you're looking towards me, uh, and you see this wreath with candles on it. And uh, there was a a candle that was brought up, and it lit one of those candles. I want to give you a little bit of the background of of what we do here on Sunday morning and maybe what you're doing in your homes as as what is an Advent celebration. Um, This is the first Sunday of Advent. Uh, Advent comes from the word, uh, the Latin word Adventus Domini, uh, which means the arrival of our Lord. And even though you won't find the word Advent or even a prescribed action or practice found in the Bible... Advent has been part of the historical church for a very long time. As we look back in church history, we can see that it was even into the late 300s that we see the first reference of Advent written and celebrated. Here's the thought behind what Advent would look like, right? Uh, So there are four Sundays leading up to Christmas, which this year is today. We are four Sundays out from Christmas. That is incredibly hard to believe. And when Christians would gather, they would light one candle at the beginning of each of those weeks. So at the very first week, they would come, whether they were gathering in a home uh, collectively or individually, they would light one candle to, to represent the light of Christ that would soon be coming into the world. And also they would, it's a dual meaning, that looking to the second coming of Christ when the fullness of the light of Christ comes into the world again. But anyway, they would come once a week, light the candle, read a scripture, and they would pray thanking God for his first arrival and looking forward to a second. The candle would burn in their homes all week long, that when they would wake up, they would see the candle, and they would be reminded that their hearts should be focused on Christ. They would come back in from their day, and they would come into their house, and the house would be dark, but the the light given off by the candle would remind them of the light of Christ that is in their life, and it would remind them to focus their mind's attention and heart's affection on the one that deserves such trust. This is a beautiful reminder in our church because each week we will come in like the the historic church would do and every week we'll light another candle. So we have one this week, next Sunday two will burn, the following Sunday three will burn, the Sunday prior to Christmas which is going to be Christmas Eve four will burn and and to give you some perspective on how this fits on the calendar. um, December 21st, what is December 21st? It's the first day of what? Of winter. It's the winter solstice. Uh, And if we look at at how it plays out here, it is the shortest day and it's the longest night. And the way that the historic church would understand that is the reason that the, the candles are here leading up towards Christmas is all four candles would be burning on the darkest week of the year, symbolizing that in our darkest moment in our history, God came to us. 
that in the light of Christ came and brought light for all men and women. God, they may, they may know and see the glory of the Father and walk in his truth. And then on Christmas Day, or as we're going to celebrate it on, on the Christmas Eve service, we're going to light this, this candle, the, the larger white one there, and that is known as the Christ candle. And it is simply symbolizing that the light has come and will soon come again. And so with that, that is the celebration of Advent. If I could encourage you to, to in some way, I'm not saying you need to go out and buy five candles for your house, but they're cheap. Uh, be careful burning candles in your house. Don't burn it down and blame it on the preacher. That's not my role. But with that, I do believe that we live in a society and we live in a world that we are easily distracted of the true meaning of Christmas. And there's something beautiful about the end of the day when you are tired and exhausted and everything is calming down and one of the brightest lights burning in your house is the candles of Christ to remind you that in the darkness, light overcomes. And so I would encourage you that this year would be your celebration of Advent, whether you have a wreath or you just celebrate that in your heart. I wanted to give you that understanding so you didn't think, oh man, they're just burning candles. Looks kind of cool today. Um, With that, I would love for us to turn our attention to the end of Philippians as we jump into this text. Again, I want to give you context. The Apostle Paul writes to a church that he loves desperately. Ten years prior to this letter coming to them, he was in Philippi. He plants this church, and it was, and we talked about it in the very first sermon in this series, you can go back and read it, how God's sovereign hand led him, thought he was going to go to Asia, couldn't go to Asia. Where do I go, God? Just keep going. I'll tell you when you get there. And then all of a sudden, he gets to the end of the road. What do I do? And then all of a sudden, there is a vision. And then God and his grace brings Paul to Philippi, breathes life into this church. The church is born out of the most unlikeliest of people, but it's in that place that one of the healthiest expressions of a gospel church is recorded in Scripture. So this is the backdrop to what we hear today, okay? So with that, I want you to to read with me Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. The Apostle Paul writes, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. That now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now remember, he is in a jail cell at this moment as he writes this letter. And the concern that he speaks of is this Christian concern of we know that the gospel work has to go forward. We know that the Apostle Paul and the church at Philippi have been called to do that work. But they are separated by a big distance right now. But that hasn't stopped the Philippian church from praying, sending, and going and giving to the Apostle Paul's ministry and to the ministry of the work of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is expressing an appreciation for that. He says, look, I am so thankful that you have revived your concern for me, that you haven't forgotten me. All right, church, now, of all the things that we've read so far in this letter that have made us potentially uncomfortable... This is probably going to be the section that makes you the most uncomfortable. If I know you like I think I do, and if I know myself like I do, this is going to make us all just a touch uncomfortable. Here's why. As as we work through this, just hang with me and, and, and let's look. Paul rejoices that his brothers and sisters have concern for him. They knew him. They understood his past and his present situation. And somewhere along the way, he realized the Apostle Paul, the Apostle, the one who saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, that guy realized that he couldn't do the ministry that was in front of him by himself. 
And so he had to ask for help. All right? Josh, why would that make us uncomfortable? Sounds like a really great Bible account. Keep preaching. It'll be great. As we've journeyed through this book and the Bible as a whole, it is clear that God has created us to do life in community. But church, that does not mean that we are just to hang out together, to eat and drink together, to see each other out and about and say, hey, how are you? I hope you're having a great day. It means that God in his infinite wisdom and grace has trusted our good and the good of the mission at hand, listen to me, to the collective body of Christ. This is, this is a big deal, okay? Because I know a lot of us, and I would say this, is, this may be harder for us than it would be a lot of other churches because there are a lot of self-made folks that are a part of this church. You have done great things because you were skilled, you were talented, you were tenacious, you were determined, and you can say at the end of this thing, look what I've done, look what I've created, look what I have accomplished. That's not how the kingdom works. God has called us to a task that's greater than any individual, but it's not greater than the whole. And so the reason why we see from Acts, the inception of the church, that's why we see from the beginning of Philippians when Paul is, is lobbying for unity, is lobbying for them to come together, consider others more important than themselves, to consider the mission as more important than any other desire that they have. The reason for that is because it's going to take the whole to accomplish the task. And so the Apostle Paul is painting a beautiful picture for us if we allow it to be viewed that way. And, and this is something in the same way, and I, I, would, I, would, I would be just as strong in this, that when we understand the Bible to say, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, I don't think anybody in this room would argue with that. Like, we know our, our brokenness. We know our fallenness. I would argue just as equally passionately that no one person can accomplish the Great Commission in and of himself or herself. It is too big for you. I don't care where you come from. I don't care what resources you have. I don't care the, the, the parents or grandparents that you were born out of. You were not created to do this Christian life alone. You were not created to do the Christian mission set before you alone. We are created to do community with one another so that the mission of Christ will go forth. So here's what we know. You and I are called to join Jesus on his mission. That's, that's a part of Broadmoor's mission statement. And we in and of ourselves are incredibly insufficient of that task by ourselves. But collectively, we are more than sufficient. Here, here's usually our issue, okay? We don't want people to see our needs in the gospel ministry or otherwise, right? So, so we, want, we want to keep our needs hidden, but we love, we desire. It actually makes us feel good and energizes us to know the needs of others. And that's not so you can point out, oh, you're in need and I'm not, because we know we're in need. But doesn't it make you feel great knowing that somebody is in need, you have means to meet that need, and God has used you in a great way to meet that need? Is that not a good thing? All right, with that, why is it then that we like to hide our own needs and never let anyone else in? I think that's the biggest struggle in our church today. And when I say our church, I would even say the big C church. We want others to let us know their needs, but we want to keep our needs hidden. And what ends up happening when we keep our needs hidden is we get frustrated with our own insufficiencies. 
We get embarrassed at the thought of asking for help. And then, listen, this, this may feel very real to you when I say this. And then we give up on the mission that God has called us to and we settle for something less. When we get into this moment, and, and listen, the world is going to make you want to believe that settling for less is more. Because you may settle for less and build a humongous business. You may be incredibly wildly successful. But the Bible has been clear from its beginning. What good is it if a man gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? We have to understand this, church. Our creation is to bring glory to God and to bring his, his understanding to the world. We were created to fulfill the mission that Christ left to us, to make disciples that make disciples. That's the Christian mission. Of all the things that Jesus did and said to his disciples, the very last thing that he left with them, and he said, I'm coming back. Like, I'm going to come back, and I'm going to, to be ready whenever you are, are, are going to be here with this mission at hand. I want you to go into the whole world to baptize and to teach and to go, making disciples of all nations. But I want you to know I'll be with you wherever you go. That's the mission at hand. And individually, we can't do that by ourselves. And so if we don't let people in like the way the Apostle Paul does, then he's stuck. He is without power and cannot do it and will begin to settle for lesser things. And those lesser things may begin to grow and we may believe that they're no longer lesser things because we like them or we like the way they make us feel. I would encourage you, church, to remember your first call and your first love. If we had the time, we would, we would pause here and go to Revelation to the beginning of it when, Paul, uh, when, when, when John gets this revelation and, and Jesus is speaking to the churches, to the seven churches. And I think one of the greatest indictments of Revelation is to the church. He speaks, you have done all these things incredibly well, but you have forgotten your first love. And I would say for the Apostle Paul, he is calling us to remember that our love is Christ and the unity that he has won for us at the cross. With that, let's keep going. A life that is worldly and meaningless is usually what we're going to settle for. And in that, we're going to find it to be incredibly joyless, no matter how successful we are. Sure, we can do it. It can be in our own strength, might, wisdom, smarts, all the things. But to what end? Paul teaches us a great lesson here. We are created to know one another and be known by one another. And it's okay and, and it's expected that other people would be concerned for us. And it's okay and expected that other people should give care to us as we engage in this trusted mission. Now, I want to be incredibly clear here, okay? So, so I, I wrote the sermon, and then as I was rereading it this morning, uh, I wanted to, to add this caveat in there, okay? I want to be clear. This moment, this teaching, this understanding isn't about you not being able to make your bills this month. Or needing somebody to help you out. Now, certainly, I believe that the Lord may put people in your life, good friends or complete strangers, that when you get in a financial bind, they may be there to help you. That's not what this is addressing. This is addressing the work of the gospel ministry. That the Apostle Paul had lived his life in a sold-out way that says, I am going to continue to go until the Lord calls me home, but it's going to take all of us for us to continue to go. 
Okay, so, so I, I wanted to, to draw the distinction between the two. It's not just, okay, I'm in a bad way or, or I'm struggling with this and, and I need to let people in. But, but listen to me, I'm not discounting that. I believe that we need to be open and honest. I believe that we need to be vulnerable with the people around us. But this is the Christian work. Here's a whole other sermon with just no time to give it. We may get to the end of this sermon and say, Josh, I don't know of any need because I'm actually not on mission. And that may be the greatest indictment of all, that the Lord has called us to be on mission. Now, again, I would say that you could take all the things that you are really successful at, good at, things that, that God in his grace has trusted to you as a platform for his glory, and I could say you could leverage all of that for Christian mission, and that would count here. Because I do believe that God gifts us in incredible ways. Going back to the very beginning of Philippians, and we see Lydia. An incredibly wealthy woman that God trusted with an incredible platform and she leveraged it all for the glory of God. It didn't mean that she was rich and then the next day poor because she gave it away. It meant that she was leveraging her life and her business to advance the kingdom. And that is what's in view here. And so with that, we continue. Paul is working to advance the kingdom of Christ and that requires resources. Resources that Paul doesn't have, but the entire church does. Notice, though, what Paul is most thankful for. Is it the provision or is it the ones who are providing the provision? Look at verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, or I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. So Paul shows his appreciation of his friends even further. He's not talking about his need. He's talking about the ones who met that need for him. The joy isn't the fact that he needed something and it sh that, that something showed up. The joy for Paul is the fact that others have chosen to join him in the mission work at hand. He gives us an incredible life lesson about our need. He said, I've learned that when whatever situation to be content. That's a big deal. To understand that wherever we are or whatever we've done, that we can be good with what we have because the Lord has saw fit to give it to us that way in that season. Look, look at verse 12. He continues. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound, and in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and in need. Paul said that he learned the secret of life, this abundant life. What is that secret of abundant life? And this is probably the verse that you know more than any of them in Philippians. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now, there's a lot here, and we're going to go fast through it. Are you ready? This is a reminder of the verse that we looked at last week, and it should be important, okay? When we go back to Philippians 4 in the beginning, the Apostle Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to all. Why? For the Lord is near. So the fact that the Lord is near is the reason we have strength, the reason that our gentleness can be on display, and the reason that we are going to rejoice. This being true, the Lord being near to us, allows us to confidently say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Why? Because he's right here with me. Context matters, church. This is not saying that Jesus is the thing or the element that allows us to become superhuman and control reality around us. You say, Josh, well, that sounds silly. All right. How many of you grew up putting Philippians 4.13 under your baseball hat? 
Some of y'all still got it in your hats today. How many of y'all hung that up somewhere? So, so we kind of get to this moment, right? This, 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 um, this immovable object meets an unstoppable force. If we're going to understand it out of context. What if the, pic- the pitcher has Philippians 4.13 and the batter has Philippians 4.13? Is the Lord now in heaven saying, what do we do? I mean, they both have it. Who has better handwriting? Who, who's more bold? Like, that's not the context of this verse. Although, I, I'm, not, I'm not against you writing verses down and be encouraged by the word of God. But we need to understand it because that meaning goes so much deeper than sports performance. This is real life for us. The Apostle Paul has walked through so much in the 10 years from planting this church to writing this letter. He's been a man who has walked with so much and then lost everything, been completely healthy and been to the point of death. And he said, you know what? And it all, I'm okay. Because on my best days, the Lord's with me and that's an awesome day. And on the days that I feel the worst, you know what? The Lord's with me and that's an awesome day. And so no matter what I face, no matter what comes my way, no matter what I know is coming, no matter what surprises me, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. As long as the Lord is near, there's no fear in it. As long as the Lord is near, I am completely strengthened to get through whatever it may be. That's why when we go back to the Great Commission, there is two promises that book, uh, that book in the, the, the charge. He says, all power and authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then it ends, and I will be with you to the very end of the age. So if Christ has all power and authority and he's with us to the very end, what fear is there that should stop us from doing the mission that's before us? Nothing. And so that's what the Apostle Paul mentions here. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. The true meaning, whether we live or die, Whether we are rich or poor, whether we are healthy or sick, whether we are married or single, whether we have kids or no kids, we have people that love us and that are around us, or we don't. It doesn't matter. Why? Because the Lord is near to me always, and in him I have strength. And that being said, Paul was thankful for his provision. He's not saying, well, I don't care about those things. I don't care about the things that were were right next to me. Look at verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. So so Paul says, yeah, so so even still, I'm thankful for you, thankful that you joined me in my suffering, and in that, these people resolved in their hearts that whatever Paul would endure, they were going to endure right with him. Verse 15, and you Philippians, this is a cool passage, and you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered the partner, into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. It's a great moment in the original language for the Philippian church. Here's why. Paul calls them by their city name. Here's why that's really cool. Helping them better understand the pride that they should feel about living in their city. Wait, Josh, didn't you say when we started this series that the city they were living in, although in Greece was Roman occupied, 
Didn't you say it was much to understand the, the, the topic or to understand the, the setting of, of Philippi? Go back and read Romans chapter 1. That doesn't sound very encouraging. Why would Paul call them by their city name and encourage them to be involved in their city? Because the call of the church is to be salt and light in this decaying and dark world. And so for them, he speaks their city name and he calls them the Philippian church and he is calling them to remember that even though they're living for the world to come, they're living in the world today. Not to waste that opportunity. Not to waste a moment because the Lord strengthens them. So if they don't have persecution, run hard and fast with the gospel. But if they face persecution, run hard and fast with the gospel because the king of glory is with them. That's a good day. I would say for us, as we understand, if Paul were writing us a letter today, I believe that he would call us the church in Madison, the church in Mississippi, the church in the United States, where there's a lot of times we can find a lot of fault with the world around us. But hear me out. The only remedy for the world around us and its faultiness is Jesus Christ. As you amen that, hear me out. You, we, us are the expression of Jesus Christ in this world. We are the ones that God has called, that is empowered, that has been sent out to take this message of salt and light to a world that's desperately waiting. It was incredibly disingenuous of us for, for us to sit in a city or a state or a country or a world and fold our arms and be mad and say, Lord, I just can't wait you come back. I'm just going to sit right here. That's not the point of Christianity. Christianity is called to be in the world but not on the world. We are called to, to walk in and give light where there is darkness. To give salt where there is rot and decay. Going back to the text, Paul praises this church for their partnership, joining with them in the giving and the receiving in gospel ministry. He goes into greater detail. Look at verse 16. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. So, uh, again... Paul partnered with them in Philippi. Thessalonica is not too far, but it's not, it's not near either if you're walking. And so as Paul moves away from where they are, they didn't forget him. They continued to remember him. They, they remembered the mission. They remembered his call. And so time and time again, they would send. And Paul would send back and they would receive. Verse 17, not that I am seeking the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Paul wanted them to know that he is not looking for another gift or more money, but he wanted them to know that he is so thankful for them and their support and their love for him. He wanted to remind them that every bit of support that they sent is going to serve the greater mission of advancing Christ's kingdom and exalting Christ's name. Verse 18, and I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gift that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. See, Paul shows us that when we are thankful, that we should be specifically thankful. He was thankful for the Philippian church in sending the money, and he was thankful for them in sending Epaphroditus to join him in the work. If you were to go back and read earlier in this letter, you see that there was a guy named Epaphroditus, and Epaphroditus was sent out by the church at Philippi, to go and serve with the Apostle Paul. Epaphroditus got really sick and almost died. 
And so as the Lord healed him and got well, he sent him back. And more than likely, Epaphroditus is the one who is bringing this letter. And what he is saying is, you not only supported me financially, you sent your own to serve alongside me. I am thankful for faith family. With that, I would be curious for us. We, we are in a season of Thanksgiving. I don't think just because the big turkey day is over that we should be not thankful anymore. So I'm curious, what are you most thankful for in the Lord? I wonder if you could come up specifically with things. Maybe as just an example, I don't think there's anything to this number. I just think it's, it's long enough to not be short and short enough not to be long. Do you have five things that you were thankful for in the, in the work of Jesus Christ in your life? Okay? Do you have people that you were thankful for in the work of Jesus Christ in your life? Here would be my encouragement to you this week. In the same way that Paul writes this letter and he ends it so profoundly and powerfully with writing them very specifically, thank you for the money, thank you for providing, thank you for suffering with me, thank you for sending Epaphroditus. What would we be thankful for this week that we could send a letter, that we could send a text, that we could send a phone call? Because here's what, something else I would like for you to see. Now, we don't get the, the other end of this. We don't, we don't see if they were celebratory when they got this letter. We don't see them jumping up and down or, or, or just considering it thoughtfully and quietly where they were. But I would assume the reason that Paul is encouraging them is because they need the encouragement. They need the encouragement to know that their offer, their ministry, their offering is good and useful for the kingdom. That's why he says here, and I think this is a really important point, that it's a fragrant offering. Like this is a sweet-smelling thing that you've done, and it's a sacrifice that it's acceptable and pleasing to God. God is proud of what you've done. When somebody tells you that, that, you, are, when somebody tells you that they are proud of you, how does that make you feel? Does it make you feel proud? More than likely, if you want behavior to continue or to continue even in bigger and greater ways, the best way to get that to happen is to offer positive encouragement. So here's what I think is a beautiful thing. One of the reasons, going back to the beginning of the sermon today, that our church is, our church big C, okay? I'll try to take the pressure off that our church is segmented in the sense of let me know your needs, but I'm not going to let you know my needs. I, I want to I let you in only to the point where it's cool and everybody's equal, but the moment that I start feeling inferior, I'm going to cut you off or at least put the, put the guards up. I think some of the reason is that because we're fearful of what the aftermath of that's going to be. We don't know how the person on the other side is going to respond. Are they going to think less of us? Are they... Are they I know this wouldn't be the case, but it, it crosses our mind. Are they then going to make fun of us? Are they going to hold that need over us? I'm not, I'm not going to shit. What if it were a positive experience? What, what, if, what if you took the opportunity and began to encourage the brothers and sisters around you? I would start, because I think this is the model of our church, I would start in your life groups. So if you were in smaller circles, life groups or small groups, that you would find people in there to personally encourage in ways that they have come alongside you in the kingdom work and tell them, add a boy and add a girl. Because when you do that, it's going to help them remember, yes, this is good. God has called us to do this thing. And hopefully they would do the same. And then from there, I, I would go out. Maybe it's the people sitting next to you today. 
Maybe it's your ministers. Maybe it's your pastor. Maybe whatever it is. Maybe, maybe you need to encourage somebody because you don't know this. But more than likely, those people are overwhelmed and under-encouraged. And they need it. So the Apostle Paul writes to encourage them, to lift them up. And then listen to the beautiful promise of verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. See, this is the true blessing of the Lord. God's going to supply everything that we need according to his riches in his glory in Christ. Now, I do believe that God has called us to work collectively as a whole to advance the kingdom individually in our life. We can't do it by ourselves. We are called to to join arms, to, to consider others as more important than ourselves, to understand that the task is greater than our own thoughts, wants, and desires. But with that, we understand at the end of the day, we don't look at somebody and let's say that they're a big donor, or let's say that they're a faithful brother and sister, let's say they're here and never miss a Sunday, and to look at them and say, wow, the church is going forward because you did that, or because you gave that, or because your faithfulness here. Although I think those things are really important, but at the end of the day, who gave them the money, who gave them the tenacity, and who gave them the freedom to show up every time the doors are open? The Lord Jesus did. And so at the end of the day, not one person or one group of people get the glory, but Christ gets the glory. That's the beauty of the church. And then this passage ends. So worship team comes back up and we move into a response time. Verse 20 and following. To our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Then it's almost like he was like, oh, wait a minute, I forgot something. And then he goes on with the last three verses, and he says this. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. Without getting too much into this, I know we covered it when we were in Romans. Whenever the Apostle Paul writes the word saint, that means those who are in the household of faith. Those who the Lord has made born again. So he says, greet every saint in Jesus Christ. Anybody who is a part of your church, anybody who is a part of the church across the street, anybody who's coming in from a different city, if they are in Christ, they are your brother and sister. And he says, because the brothers and sisters who are with me, they greet you. All the saints greet you, especially of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And the letter ends. What are we to take away from today? I would, I would say it would be this. We need each other. We need our church family. And we need both of those things to be rooted in Jesus Christ. We need each other. We need our church family. And both of those things need to be rooted in Jesus Christ. So with that, here's what I would challenge you to do this morning as we move into this response time. What do you need to advance the kingdom? Maybe it's not money. Maybe it's not a meal. Maybe it's not a resource like that. Maybe you need accountability. Maybe you need a blueprint. Maybe you need a roadmap. Maybe you need somebody to sit down with you and say, I have a desire to lead, but I have no clue what that means. I have a desire to advance the kingdom, Josh, but I have no clue what that means with what God has trusted to me. Can somebody from the outside looking in give me some wisdom and insight? 
Ladies and gentlemen, if we don't ever get to the point where we can be open, honest, and vulnerable and begin to ask those type questions, we are going to settle for far less things than we should. We're going to live lives that on this side of eternity look great, majestic, and wonderful. But at the end of our days, they don't go with us. Let us live for things that moth and rust cannot destroy. Let us live for the kingdom and for the king in which it represents. So with that, we are going to move into a response time and we are going to sing a song. It's one of my favorite hymns. It's called, O Church Arise. And so even as we sing this, I pray that it may be new to you. I pray that as you read these words, you would allow them to wash over your heart and invigorate you to say, O church, collective and plural, let us arise, all the individuals together, united as one, for the glory of God and the good of our communities. Would you pray with me? Father, we do love you and we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for one another. Lord, you have blessed us with incredible friendships, the joyful times to be around and with one another. But Lord, I pray, I pray that you would move us to a deeper place with one another, God, where we can be honest, open and vulnerable, where your spirit would unite our hearts long before we have conversations about what we may need or what we may desire or what we may have to offer. Lord, you have blessed us with an incredible church that is Broadmoor and the incredible church that is the the Lord Jesus Christ bride. And so, Lord, we ask that you would unite us as one. Help us not fight over things that don't matter. But even when we contend over things that we believe matter, help us surrender them both at your feet. So help us now, Lord Jesus. Help us to arise, put our armor on, and to go headstrong into the battle that you've called us to, side by side, arm in arm, for your glory and our good. Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray and stand and respond, church. Would you stand with me?